Some of you are aware that our youngest son, Luke, is a lieutenant in the Marines. Um, he's serving for three years in Japan. And last month, when things started to blow up in Afghanistan, his unit got a phone call to prepare a plane and some troops to go to Kabul to help with the airlift of getting people out of the country. Within about 24 hours, that uh, request was changed. Uh, the orders were changed, and he ended up not having to go. Nobody from his unit went over there in the end. You know the rest of the story. <clears throat> Within a few days after that, a terrorist attack at the airport killed 13 service people, including 11 Marines. I guess that attack took on special significance this weekend as we think about and commemorate the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 bombings that took the lives of nearly 3,000 Americans, those who denied themselves, the first responders, helped to rescue a lot of people from the site that day. As a father, I have to tell you that it keeps me awake at night to realize that our son was one phone call from being at the airport the day that that bombing happened. And in a special way, it helped me to appreciate what Mary, the mother of God, must have gone through, seeing her son during those three years of his preaching, being tormented by the crowds, threatened, eventually arrested, broken, beaten, and nailed to a cross, where she would sit at the foot of the cross watching him die. This weekend, we celebrate the Feast of the Most Holy name of Mary, the mother of God, a feast that the church has been celebrating for 500 years. Since that day, we think about Jesus on the cross, looking down at John and saying, John, this is your mother. And Mary, at that point, becomes the mother of all of us. She suffered a lot of pain for her son, for faith in her son. <clears throat> and in the gospel today, Jesus reminds us that we too are called to suffer that if we are going to follow him, we have to take up his cross, and there will be natural consequences for that. And while most of us will never have to die for our country or for our faith, the fact is, every day we are challenged through certain kind of suffering because of our faith. A, a simple example of that could be maybe you're in a group of friends that you've known for a while, and they start really teasing or bullying somebody. And you decide, as a Christian, that's not right. And you stand up to them, or you get up and walk away. And you run the risk of losing friends because of your stand as a Christian. You're maybe going to be isolated. But our life is filled with setbacks, disappointments, and sometimes that isolation. And in fact, we live in a culture where, for whatever reason, our culture has decided to avoid all pain and all suffering at all possible costs. You know, we experience a breakup or we lose a job, and we know that we can always turn to the bottle or to drugs to numb that pain, to put it off for a while so we don't have to feel it. Or maybe in a, a more extreme case, we think of an unexpected pregnancy. We simply eliminate the baby to solve the problem. My son John and I were at a conference in Rome a couple of years ago. The conference was called uh, Cultures of Unbelief. 
It called people from all around the world to talk about why is it that some of us believe in God, have faith in him, and other people just refuse to believe in God at all. And John and I were having a conversation at lunchtime one time that, during that conference with a professed atheist who looked at us and said, I really don't understand why you Catholics have so much of a problem with abortion. And I looked at him and I said, so you're willing to take a life to solve the problem of an unexpected pregnancy? And I'll never forget his response. He said, yes, I think it's a worthy trade as long as it takes care of the suffering of the mother. And I thought to myself, are you serious? It's okay to trade a life for a suffering person. But see, that's the extreme that our world has gotten to, where we are going to avoid any type of pain or suffering, whatever it takes. And a lot of times people will refer to that as compassion. But compassion comes from a Latin word that means to suffer with somebody. It doesn't mean to take the pain away. It may result in that in some way, but the idea is to walk with the person, to suffer with them, so they know somebody's there for them. St. Teresa of Avila wrote in one of her books, if you see someone suffering pain, you should also feel it. And if necessary, you fast so the other might eat, not for their sake, but because you know that it is the Lord's desire. What we do in this life, we do according to the Lord's desire, not just because it makes us comfortable or makes us happy all the time. But if we feel that way in our culture, we shouldn't feel alone, because this is not new. This goes back in time while we see it in today's gospel. Think of St. Peter's reaction to Jesus' word. Jesus is talking to the group, and he says to them, the Son of Man is going to have to suffer, and I'm going to be crucified and die. And St. Peter says, no, we'll have none of that. We're not going to let you suffer, Lord. It's going to be okay. And you almost have this sense that when Peter says that, Jesus is thinking back to three years ago. Three years ago, he was in the desert encountering the devil. Do you remember that? He's in the wilderness, and the devil says to him, you know what, if you're hungry, don't worry about it. Just change the stones into bread. You don't have to feel that pain. If you fall off the cliff, don't worry about it. The angels will catch you. You don't have to go through that kind of suffering. See, the biggest lie that the devil told Jesus is that this life is going to be easy. That you can go from day to day without ever feeling any pain and it's going to be okay. We'll take care of that. And Jesus had to have remembered that when Peter said that because he turns around and he points at Peter and he says to him, Satan, he calls him the devil. And he also says, get behind me. I've often pondered that sentence. What does it mean to say, get behind me, Satan? Well, St. John Chrysostom wrote an interesting piece about this. St. John is a doctor of the church. We'll actually celebrate his feast day this coming Monday. And St. John put it this way. I'll put it in modern terms. Suppose that you want somebody to get elected for a political office. What do we often say? Let's get behind that candidate, right? Or if we want the football team Please start winning. <laughs> we might say to the football team, we're going to get behind you. That means we're going to follow you. We're going to cheer for you. We're going to help you to accomplish your aim. 
That's what St. John Chrysostom says that Peter, or that Jesus is saying to Peter. Get behind me. Follow me. Take up my cause. Stop thinking like people do. Stop putting your emphasis on this world and start thinking about eternity. Isaiah talks about something similar in that first reading today. We hear a, one of the four what we call suffering servant poems. And this poem is about a man who is tormented psychologically and physically, but he refuses to be disgraced. He says that God is with him. And that's what Jesus is challenging us with today, to recognize that, yes, sometimes life can be difficult, but I'm going to be there with you. I'm walking with you. My good friend, Father Mark Davis, some of you know from St. Al's, he was pastor there for 12 years, he's always reminding me, Dan, this is not heaven. This is not heaven. We're going to have setbacks, disappointments, frustrations. It's a natural part of living. Back in the 15th century, an author by the name of Thomas Kempis wrote a book, a Catholic classic, that's called The Imitation of Christ. You may have read or heard about it at some point. Kempis kind of summarized what I'm talking about today with a short paragraph that is so well done that I'm going to let his words carry this instead of mine. Here's what Kempis said in his book. Jesus has always many who love his heavenly kingdom, but few who bear his cross. He has many who desire consolation, but few who care for trial. He finds many to share his table, but few to take part in his fasting. All desire to be happy with him, but few wish to suffer anything. Many follow him to the break of the bread, but few to the drinking of the chalice of his passion. Many revere his miracles, but few approach the shame of his cross. Many love him as long as they encounter no hardship. Many praise and bless him as long as they receive some comfort from him. But if Jesus seems to hide himself or leaves them just for a while, they fall either into complaints or into deep dejection. Those, on the contrary, who love him for his own sake and not for any comfort of their own, bless him in all trial and anguish of heart, as well as in the bliss of consolation. And that's you and I. We are called upon to bless God regardless of the situation that we find ourselves in. And that can be really difficult at times. But I firmly believe that God is there in Japan with our son Luke. That he's walking with the mother in an unexpected pregnancy. He's there with the person suffering in a hospital. And he's there with you today. No matter what you're going through, no matter how difficult it is, how isolated you're feeling, how frustrated you are with the world, no matter what you're feeling right now, God is there. He's walking with you. And in Isaiah today, it says, the Lord God is my help. He will never leave you alone. I believe in one God. 